Well, good morning, everyone. Turn to the book of Daniel, if you would. <clears throat> We're continuing our story here uh, on the story. And uh, we've reached another phase here where uh, the children of Israel have kind of sealed their doom. And they have now under, they went under siege, taken over by the Babylonian Empire. And they are now under complete control of a foreign government, a foreign king. And uh, this is where they put themselves due to the disobedience uh, that they had through not following God's ordinances and God's commands, a God that loved them very deeply, and yet they continued to, uh, as so many references, continued to do evil in the sight of the Lord. I think Darren shared several weeks ago about all the kings that they had. And I might be wrong in this, but I think they had maybe eight or nine of them that were good kings. And the rest were doing evil in the sight of the Lord. And when they did evil, they did uh, horrible evil. And uh, so what we do today is we find ourselves in the book of Daniel. And uh, Daniel is uh, uh, a book that is so powerful, not only in examples of faith, but also is very, very prophetic. Anybody that ever, if you ever sit down uh, and listen to anybody's teaching on prophetic, they'll be opening the book of Daniel. If they're going to open Revelation, they're going to open the book of Daniel. So this is a very powerful book, and there's a lot of things in here. And uh, we want to start uh, right away and just kind of give a little bit of a, uh, a rundown here we have with uh, Daniel and uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, these are our main characters, these four young men. They were probably teenage boys, and they come from royal families. And uh, these young boys were, uh, they were picked out because they were intelligent, uh, handsome, and uh, they had some education to them. And so the king at that time uh, saw that. He said, oh, we're going to use these guys. We're going to use these Jewish guys uh, to our advantage. And so they, they brought him into the king's court, and uh, they said, we're going to train him for three years, and we're going to get these guys to, we're going to get some benefit out of these, these three or four young men. So that's kind of our setting for today. Let's open with a word of prayer. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the songs this morning, Lord. Thank you that uh, all is well with our souls. Uh, thank you, Lord, that uh, we can lean on you totally. Uh, we can lean back and... Uh, and take the yoke that you've given us, Lord. Uh, it's, a, it's an easy yoke, and it's yoke and it's light, Lord God. And Lord, we thank you for providing a Savior. We thank you, Lord God, that this Savior has went as far as you can go with redemption, and he's done it for us. And we thank you for that today, Lord God. And Father, today we see in the story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we see people that are devoted to you and the great benefits that they get from that. And we thank you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's basically three stories here that uh, uh, kind of open our eyes to some things. Um, you know, we're always talking about the story. We're talking about the upper story and the lower story. The upper story meaning God's intentions, God's thinking, God's uh, what he wants us to do. In the lower story, that's what we do. That's our response to it. Sometimes it's like this, and we just, whew, we just miss. Sometimes we connect, 
Well, here's some times when they connected. We can see that what these uh, young men had done and what was in their lives and in their heart towards the God, uh, the, the God of heaven, the true God. Well, we start out with, uh, in Daniel 1, if you want to turn there. In Daniel 1, we see that, uh, <clears throat> Daniel 1, verse 8, they, uh, these men were uh, going to be brought up uh, in the Babylon, blab, 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 try to say that about ten times. Uh, the Babylonian way they were going to bring them up in. And uh, one thing, one advantage they had was they were given the king, uh, food off the king's table. They were given the king's meat, the king's wine, everything. And they said, these guys, let's treat them good. And so they, they brought this to them and they said, uh, no, no. No, we're, we have some dietary restrictions here, and uh, we're not going to do that. Uh, just give us vegetables and, and water, and we'll be just fine. Well, the guy that took care of him says, I don't do that. I'll get in trouble. I'm supposed to take care of you guys. I want you nice and healthy and sleek looking and buff looking and everything, and I can't do that. Nah, Daniel says, uh, give it a shot here. Uh, just, just give us vegetables and water and, uh, and, uh, because it's against our dietary laws. And the overriding thing there, he says, we're, we're honoring our God. We're honoring our God by not doing that. The guy says, well, okay, I'll tell the king about it. So they did. And about 10 days later, they look and see they're, they're, they're looking better than anybody else there. They're looking the best. They're just awesome. They said, okay, we're going to leave this alone. So there we see a little bit of a lower story uh, reaction to the upper story. We see honoring, they're honoring God with, uh, that's the only law they knew at that time, uh, was, the, was the law laid down on Mount Sinai. That's the law they lived by, and they honored that law. And so they, they hit the mark that time. They said, well, you know, we're, we're going to honor our God, and uh, so be it. And it, it turned out to be good. They got a blessing out of it. And so these young men were really, uh, it, really impressing uh, the king at that time. So <clears throat> uh, they grew up in stature and knowledge, and uh, God just purely blessed them. Well, Nebuchadnezzar, the king at that time, has a dream, and his dreams are very troubling to him. And he wants these dreams interpreted, and so he calls all his wizards and sorcerers and astrologers and everything, and says, can you guys interpret this dream for me? And they say, well, yeah, tell us the dream. And I say, ah, no, no, <clears throat> you tell me the dream, and then you interpret it. And if you don't, I'll cut you to pieces, and I'll burn your house. A little bit of pressure there. Uh, you know, I could say one thing, well, you know, just interpret the dream. No, they did that to him a couple times. And they said, no, you guys ain't getting it here, you know. And uh, the, uh, uh, the, over the overseer for Daniel and his friend says, <clears throat> told Daniel about this. <clears throat> and Daniel says, uh, I can interpret that dream. I'll interpret that for him. So he came before the king. He told the king, he says, I'll, I'll tell you what that is. Oh, really? Well, if you don't, there's a heavy penalty to pay here. Well, then, then Daniel says, well, give me a little time. I'm going to pray about it, and we'll, we'll get this thing taken care of. We'll interpret your dream. And so Daniel goes back, and he prays, <clears throat> and he gets uh, interpretation. Uh, he says, uh, we, can look, we can see this in Daniel 2. Let's look at Daniel 2, 46 and 48.
this is going to be the reaction of the king, but uh, Daniel interprets the dream correctly. Now, he told him what the dream was. This is what you're dreaming, king, and this is what the meaning of that is. And so Dan, uh, Daniel, uh, the king, Nebuchadnezzar is totally amazed, totally amazed. And here's what we read here in uh, Daniel 2, 46 through 49. <clears throat> the king uh, Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and did, did homage to Daniel and gave orders to present to him an offering and fragrant incense. The king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, since you have made, uh, been able to reveal this mystery. And then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole providence of Babylon and chief uh, prefect over all the wise men of, of uh, Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar noticed that it was God that did this. And Daniel was very quick to say, no man can do this. No man has the ability to not only tell you what the dream is, but interpret the dream. Because no man can do that. But my God in heaven did that. And Daniel was quick to give him praise and give him glory for that. And we see there is another spot where the upper story and the lower story come together real good. Where the response of Daniel was, says, my God can do this. We look at another story in Daniel. By this time, Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, they are all elevated, well-respected men. But you've got to remember they're Jews. They're not true Babylonians. And there's a lot of jealousy. When you get in the higher, <clears throat> higher ranks, there's a lot of jealousy. You ever notice that? In the lower ranks, there there's ain't much. But when you get up there, there's a lot of jealousy. And so what, so what Nebuchadnezzar does, uh, he builds a statue of himself and decrees that everybody worships it. <clears throat> 90-foot statue. This sitting is about 20 feet. So uh, take another 20, that's 40, another 20, 60, another 20, 80, and 10 more feet after that. That's pretty high. Now, wh who would do that? I mean, who would... Who would make a statue of themselves 90 feet tall? Well, Nebuchadnezzar did. There must have been a little narcissism there to do that, thinking highly of himself. Anyway, he, he, he makes the... And you know, <clears throat> why is it that a king like that saw these miracles through Daniel and then can turn around and look at himself and build a statue like one thing to kind of remember through all this, Satan is at work through men doing these things. God knew these things were going to happen, and he had the right men at the right spot at the right time. And so he builds a statue. And let's, let's go to Daniel 3, verses 8 through 12. And uh, everyone is ordered now to worship this idol that King Nebuchadnezzar has made of himself. And he hears that, uh, this is what we're going to read in, in Daniel 3, 8 through 12. He hears that they're not doing that. He says, for this reason at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and brought some charges against the Jews. They responded and said to Nebuchadnezzar the king, <clears throat> O king, live forever. Whenever you're in the presence of a king, always say, O king, live forever. You know he's going to die, but just tell him that anyway. It makes him feel good. 
O king, live forever. Uh, yeah, I think it will. That's good. I like that. Yeah. And he says, You yourself, king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, flute, uh, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, all kinds of music, to fall down and worship the golden image. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast in the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. Well, there are certain Jews, here we go, they're ratting on them now. There are certain Jews whom you have pointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, had disregarded you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. King is furious. Let's look at Daniel 3, 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. Wait a minute. The other guys say, O king, live forever. And these guys say, uh, you know, we don't need to give an answer concerning over this. I mean, they gain respect, but there's a higher God here. Here we see the lower story meeting the upper story again. <clears throat> Awesome words here, 17. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. He's able. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. O king, live forever, that king. He's going to deliver us. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, they were not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you set up. Just declare that sentence right there. We're going to go to the furnace. We're going to, you know, either Nebuchadnezzar sings, saying, turn or burn. You can turn and worship that statue or you're going to burn. Well, of course, the king is furious. 19, verse 19 says, And Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath. And his facial expression was altered towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. So the king is mad by this time, furious. <clears throat> and uh, he's even had men come over, and uh, the, the men that actually heated up the furnace died. That's how hot it was. And they had them bound up in all their clothes. You know what I mean? They, they just had them, had them tied up. And, and uh, I mean, there's no getting out of there. They're in that fire. They're going to be gone. You know, they're just going to be toast just like that. So <clears throat> when they get in there, let's turn to Daniel 3, 24 and 25. This is what the king starts to see. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded and stood up in haste. He responded and said to his, you know, he must have been sitting down watching this. I just got this. I mean, really. He goes, just sit down and watch people fry. Not a good guy. He stood up in haste. He responded and said to his high officials, was it not three men that we cast bound up in the midst of the fire? And they answered and said, oh, certainly, O king, you're right. But then he answered and said, look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. 
A lot of interpretations put this. This is the uh, pre-incarnate Jesus Christ was there. Not sure of that, but it, it's some distinction here. It looks like the Son of God. But all of a sudden, there's four men in there. And uh, don't, don't you know every Bible Sunday school kid knows this story? It's just a great, great story. And they see that. He, they, they're, they're in the furnace there, uh, chest bumping and high-fiving, you know. And, you know, <laughs> what's going on here? There's four of them in there now. Well, verse 27 says, And the satraps, the, the prefects, and the governors, and the king's high officials gathered around and saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on their bodies, and, and those, these men, or, or the hair on their head sins, nor were their trousers damaged, nor the smell of fire even came upon them. You know, that, again, that's one of them stories we just don't want to go to sleep on. Just dwell on that sometimes. Just be thinking about that. They just didn't burn. Uh, in Daniel 20, in the 3, uh, 28 30. Now here, here we see again Nebuchadnezzar responding to this. He also responded, remember, when... Uh, when, when uh, Daniel had interpreted the dream. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who put their trust in him, violating the king's command and yielded up their bodies <clears throat> so as to not to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses reduced to a rubbish heap, inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. And then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. And you see again the respect he had for this God, this miracle, miracle God. Again, the upper, lower, upper level uh, connects with the lower level the respect that they have and, and uh, the, the miraculous thing that God did there. <clears throat> when I was studying this, uh, I thought uh, years back, I don't even know when it was, I think it was in the 80s, um, we heard this testimony, and it was a very powerful testimony. So whenever I heard this, uh, uh, when I read this about their hair wasn't singed, their clothes weren't singed, they didn't smell like smoke or anything like that, <clears throat> The first thing I thought of was the Tenerife Airport disaster. That was in uh, March 27th in 1977. It was in the Canary Islands. The Canary Islands are northwest of, uh, off the coast of Africa. It's a very uh, well-vacationed uh, uh, area that uh, many, many people from around the world go there. Uh, sandy beaches, beautiful weather, and things like that. So there's a lot of traffic there and a lot of, uh, a lot of visitors going there. And there was a man named Norman Williams from California. He was a believer, taking a vacation there. And uh, he was on Pan Am flight. And uh, they already been flying for, I think, something like, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, around uh, 16 hours or something like that. And he got there, and he found out that there was a bomb that had been placed at the airport they were to land on. And so they had to take and land at a Tenerife airport in the Canary Islands that was uh, the only one available. And so they also, uh, the ground uh, uh, crew had directed other planes to land there. So that little tiny airport was get, is very congested. 
And so before he left on his trip, Norman Williams uh, had a little Pentecostal mother that was a praying mother. Anytime uh, anybody left uh, out of her household, they said, come on over here and put your hands in the Bible, and they prayed. They prayed for traveling mercy. They prayed for safety. And uh, they also prayed for a safe return home. Whenever you're praying for uh, a trip, make sure the return trip home is prayed for also. It's nice to get there, but you want to come back too. And uh, when his mother was praying for him, he, uh, she started uh, sobbing, and then pretty soon she was uh, crying and actually wailing quite, uh, quite loudly. And uh, uh, they got done praying, and uh, he hugged his mom, and he took off and got to the airport. <clears throat> well, he was on the plane, and uh, the announcement came over the loudspeaker that they're going to have to land in uh, Tenerife, the small airport. And uh, so they'll be delayed for a little bit. Well, to shorten the story up, they get to the airport, and by this time, there's several planes there. There's a couple of, this is a 747. There's also a KLM, Dutch Airlines, 747 there also, and had to land in the small airport. And they're trying to bunch all these planes up so they can keep the runway open for anybody else to come in or they can come to leave later on. Well, the other airport finally cleared and said, okay, you can land over here. So everybody's, yippee, we're waiting. They're waiting four hours in a, in a plane. I don't know, any of you had plane layovers, they're not fun at all. But here's four hours, plus they had a 16-plus hour flight, and they're, they're in their, uh, uh, they've been in their seats, they let them get out for a little bit and come back in. And uh, so they, uh, they're uh, just, just glad to be going again. Well, in the meantime, this ground crew has to take all these planes and get them back again. So the, the smaller planes take off. Well, uh, they get directions for the, the KLM, the Dutch airline plane, is going to go first, and the second one, the Pan Am, is going to take off after that. Well, the, 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 Dutch, uh, the, the pilot of the Dutch, uh, Dutch airline, uh, KLM, said, you know what, while we're here, we're going to fuel up. Uh, that way, if, if this happens again, if we go to the next place, we're going to, be, we're going to have fuel. So they put in 21,000 gallons of fuel. That comes about 55 ton of fuel, and he fueled up. And uh, so... About the time that they're taxiing, they had to taxi down the runway the opposite way, turn around and come back and take off, the, off that little island. And so when they're taxiing down the runway, uh, the fog comes in. And there's an, uh, there is a uh, little mountain peak on that island. They call it the Devil's Island because they think the devil lived there, and uh, the local people did. Anyway, uh, a fog comes down. I mean, it just uh, they, uh, the stories go, it was just an eerie fog. It was just like thick, thick cloud. And it just enveloped the whole lower part of the, uh, uh, the island and around the airport. And so now the airport, they can't see. And so here these two big 747s are going to be taxiing. And they're, they're meant to fly. They're not meant to scoot around and, you know, do any four-wheeling with or anything like that or off-road. They're meant to, on pavement, we're going to turn this thing around and get it in the air. Well, the KLM goes first. They turn around. In the meantime, the... Uh, uh, the Pan Am flight is, going to, is heading towards it, and the uh, control tower doesn't know where they are. They, they, they're giving them commands, and uh, they can't see. One of the, in fact, he stepped out of the tower, take a look, didn't see anybody. You know, we're, we're just going by, by instruments in here and stuff. So it turns out that the captain of the uh, KLM uh, was getting very irritable, and uh, he was letting the ground crew know that. 
And uh, so what happens as the Pan Am is coming towards him, he decides to take off. Can't see him or nothing. They take off. Well, here he is loaded with fuel. If he wouldn't have been loaded down with fuel, he'd have probably made it. He takes off. And uh, at this time, the Pan Am is turning off the runway to try to get into a, a small little concourse to get out of the way. And the KLM comes and hits the Pan Am, shears the roof off. And it's now, it's, remember, it's loaded with 21,000 gallons of fuel. And it is explodes. You got a picture of that, Mike? Nick reminded me this morning, before I talked about this, he said, uh, don't you know that we're going on a plane trip here, a bunch of us? Uh, we're going to Rwanda and we're going to Bangkok. And I, I told Nick, yeah, I thought of that. I, I prayed about that a lot. But I remember this was on the ground. <laughs> Dylan, <laughs> Brita, all you guys. This is on the ground. And it, it was really a human error. It was just, it was just uh, uh, not, never should have happened. But anyway, uh, they ripped the top off the Pan Am. Um, everyone in the KLM flight, over 300 people are dead. All of them. Every one of them. Uh, in the Pan Am, uh, there is uh, probably over, uh, over 200 people. There's maybe 70 that uh, uh, survive. Uh, some of them died later. Some of them had uh, terrible injuries later on. Um, there's 582 people died. It's the worst aircraft uh, accident ever uh, in the world. And uh, <clears throat> going back to... Uh, this man, Norman Williams, was sitting in the uh, center aisle. And uh, he said, when that happened, he said, everybody just kind of sat there. And then all of a sudden, the, the fire was so intense, he saw people actually melt right around him. And he heard people cursing and swearing at God. He said, it was just always so real. It was just like time stopped. So the Lord could let him see this. And he said, little grandmas, 60, 70 years old, were cursing God. And people, this, the, the flesh melted right off of their skin. Well, he said, believe it or not, I had a calmness I could not believe. I could not describe the calmness that I had. And he said, I remembered why my mother was praying now and how intense she prayed. He said, like my mind opened up and I could see scripture. All I could see is the word of God. And he said, there was a fiery ball come towards him. He didn't know what else to do. He said, in the name of Jesus. So he put up his hand and this thing cut him a little bit, but it bounced off him. Well, he sat there and he, and he said, I was in a, in a world that I, I just I can't describe it. The calmness and the peace that I had. He was about a 250. 50-plus man. He wasn't agile at all. He was in his mid-50s, I think, something like that. But anyway, uh, he had to get out of that plane. How he got out, uh, planes, uh, I think, the, to the top of the plane, to get to the top is over 10 feet. He said, I don't know how I got up there, but I ended up on top of the plane. And then I got down onto the wing, and I knew I had to get off that plane because of the 
small fires here and there, big fire behind him, around him, in the, in the cabin and everything, and he knew more was coming because of all the fuel that had been spilled. And so, all this time, he's tra- trying to scramble and get out of there. He's, he's saying, I stand on your word. I stand on your word. He said, I must have said that a thousand times. I stand on your word. I stand on your word. I stand on your word. He gets himself up in the wing, and he's got nothing left to do with it, jump off the wing. That wing is probably 30, 35 feet off the ground. And so he jumps off the ground, and he ends up with just cuts and bruises. And the reason I tell you all that is uh, there wasn't a hair singed on his head. Uh, there wasn't a bit of clothing singed, burnt, or nothing. Didn't even smell like smoke. And when he goes around, I'm sure he's, he's uh, with the Lord now, but uh, he went around uh, taking his clothes with him. This is just the way the clothes were, just when I got, when I got off that plane. No smoke smell, no singe, no burning, nothing. Not a hair, not an eyelash. So when I heard that testimony 20-some years ago, probably, you know, when I was studying Daniel, then this, this came to me right away. I thought, wow, that's, there it is. Today's miracle. It happens today. The same God, the same God of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego doing the same thing. There's a verse in Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. Is that all of it, Mike? Yeah, go ahead. 1 through 3. Is that 1 through 3? Okay. Isn't that if uh, you'll go through the fire and not be burned? Amen. Is that what it said? Yeah. That's his verse. Can't you believe that he wears that around his neck? Go through the fire and not be burned. <clears throat> and the last story I want to relate to you uh, out of Daniel. Uh, we're going to turn to uh, Daniel chapter 6. And by this time, uh, even the Babylonian Empire gets taken over by Persia. They have a new king, Darius. He has conquered the Babylonians. Let's turn to uh, Daniel chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. We've got to remember now that Daniel is very highly regarded at this time. And again, jealousy is in the camp. Verse 4 says, The commissioners and the satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to the government affairs. Daniel was put in about as high as you can anybody in that government. That's how much he trusted him. And so they could not find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was found to be in him. And then these men said, we shall not find any ground or accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. He knew, they knew that if they're going to find anything on Daniel, it'd be something where it would be against his God. 
Well, uh, they find out that uh, the ordinance was for 30 days you were to pray to the king. And it turns out that Daniel is not going to do that. You can already see that coming. Let's turn to uh, chapter 10 in Daniel 6. Now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, they had signed a document and the king had to sign it. King Darius had to sign it. It says, anybody that doesn't pray for these 30 days, they're going to be put to death. They're going to be put in the lion's den. Well, Daniel doesn't respond to that, of course. He's going to uh, not, uh, not do that. And 10 says, and now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now in his roof chamber, he had windows open towards Jerusalem. <clears throat> and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God, as he had been doing previously. Well, when they found out, to the dismay of King Darius, King Darius really had high regard and really, uh, uh, really liked Daniel. And so he was really quite grieved that he had to throw Daniel in the lion's den. And when he threw him in there, he told him, he said, you know, uh, Daniel, you're going in the lion's den, but your God will deliver you. Your God can do that. He's heard about Daniel. He's heard about how Daniel got uh, delivered from other things. And so they throw him in the lion's den. And, uh, of course, the next day they go there, and Darius is, he couldn't sleep at all that night. Uh, he was, you know, I, I'm going to lose this good man in my government. And I had to sign this decree saying that anybody that didn't worship uh, for 30 days, uh, another idol, I knew he wasn't going to do that, but I, had, I signed it, and he didn't do it. So he's coming up there, and he yells out, Daniel, did your Lord deliver you? Daniel's voice says, yep, I'm okay. It's all good. And of course, the king rejoiced and, and said, you know, again, giving honor and uh, preference to the God of Daniel. So in all three of them, we see something where the upper story and the lower story connected. But just by being faithful, these four men had uh, not only received uh, uh, honor with God, but also honor with men. And they escaped through every one of them. I guess I want to close with uh, those three things. We look at, first of all, the food thing. Uh, these men did not want to defile themselves before their holy God. They in no shape or form wanted to do that. Got to remember, they were in a foreign country. Their country was taken over, and their city was in ruins. The second one is when they were in a fiery furnace, they declared boldly, our God is able. Our God's going to do this. And the third one, with tips of scales, Daniel prays to his God like he's done all the time. He prayed to his God. His God delivered him. And I guess what I'd like to close with, in the upper story and the lower story, can't you see God just cheering these guys on? All the odds that were against them. Death was always facing him. In a government like that, even the subjects uh, 
around the kings were, could be subject to death any time. For example, if you don't interpret this dream right, I'm going to cut you to pieces. Crank up that furnace. Several men died just doing that. And uh, the last one, uh, if you don't pray to this God, you'll be put to death. Daniel maintained his prayer vigilance three times a day on his knees facing Jerusalem. In men's Bible study the other night, we talked about a discipline in Daniel's life that's remarkable even to this day. And we see that uh, he subjects himself to prayer on his knees three times a day. Now that we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, that the Spirit living in us, we can pray all the time, anytime, anywhere. These men were living under a different covenant, an old covenant. We're living under a new covenant, better covenant, far better. And all these things that we've seen done here, same God responds the same way. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that it's written that you never change. There's no no shadow of turning with you. There's no gray area with you, Lord. There's just truth. We thank you that what you did here, you still do. Lord, we thank you for these stories telling us, encouraging us to walk in a way that honors you, and you in turn honor us. How great an honor we can have, and we have today, that you've taken yourself and died on a cross for everything we did, and now declare to us, because of the blood I shed, you are now holy. And now, Lord, you want us to walk in that. Today, Lord, we are forever grateful for that. We praise you. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.